Bonjour, I'm Valérie Jardin, the host of Street Focus, and you're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the Cashfly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with Cashfly. And now, pay as you go. Start with two terabytes free by going to cachefly.com and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by iFi. Point, shoot, iFi. Try it for free at twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. TWIP is brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners save time billing and get paid faster. Sign up for free at freshbooks.com and join over 5 million users running their businesses with ease. This is TWIP. There are lots of camera manufacturers making an abundance of gear in the market today, but the choices may be narrowing a bit. It's been reported that Samsung is canceling at least one camera in a few markets, but the truth seems hard to come by. Is the NX1 on the chopping block, or isn't it? Canon is going after the gray market resellers, and while it may mean you can't get those too-good-to-be-true deals anymore, it's probably for the best. Leica is releasing a camera that it hopes will make waves in the professional sports photography market with what it claims is the fastest autofocus ever. And while it's certainly expensive, it is in line with top-end Canon and Nikon bodies. But with only one lens to choose from, it has a long way to go. And finally, the Panasonic Lumix post-focus feature gets a little more love and technical explanation. This is TWIP episode 441. It is uh, Monday, November 30th. Actually, that's a bit of a fib. It's just a day after that because we are re-recording this broadcast. This is TWIP. I am your host, Joseph Lenaski. Frederick Van Johnson is running around somewhere in Southeast Asia right now having a grand old time. So I am here filling in those big old shoes. Joining me today are Lee Herbert and Shiv Verma. Gentlemen, hello. Hello, Joseph. Hello, hello. It's almost like I haven't seen you in 24 hours. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what it sounds like after 24 hours, it's, but it is 24 It hours. has been 24 hours, almost to the, to the minute. So, gentlemen, we have, uh, we have a bit on the, on the agenda today, which we all, of course, are very well aware of. And we're going to jump into this right into the show and see what's what. And today's first story is all about Samsung. Samsung as many of you are undoubtedly aware, make some cameras. They make some nice little cameras. Nothing wrong with them, some pretty good pieces of gear, but they have apparently decided to discontinue at least part of the line in part of the world. The NX1 is the one that has been slashed. At least that is the way the reports are going. So a little bit unconfirmed, we'll get into that part of it, but as it just starts, just to start this off, NX1, either of you used one before, and if so, what are your thoughts? I have not used one, but um, I've got a couple of friends who've, who've got them, and they love them. So, um, yeah, they, they, they seem to be very popular with the people who have them. What is it that makes them so popular with them, do you know? Um, I suppose it seems to be mostly sort of price and features. So in terms of, you know, they're, they're relatively well-priced, and, you know, as, as Samsung is wont to do with most of their things, they throw everything along with the kitchen sink into there. So... It's like, oh, my God, it does everything, and it costs less than other things, I suppose. Fair enough. And they must be happy with the image quality. Yeah, yeah, they seem perfectly happy with it. Having yeah. said that, none of these friends are professional photographers. They're all very passionate um, non-professionals. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Shiv, what about you? 
No, I, actually, I've, I've heard about it, I've read about it, but never really used one. I know some people who have used it and mixed emotions. Um, you know, clearly, I think uh, Lee said it, the, the folks that he's been speaking to aren't really pros. So from a pro's point of view, maybe there's some different impressions over there, but uh, clearly it's been successful in some markets. Otherwise, they wouldn't have survived so long. No, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So all right, none of us are using them. Other, none of us know any pros that are using them. Um, obviously, this show is not um, all about the pros, though. There's a lot of enthusiasts out there who listen to TWIP, and I'm sure that many of them own these cameras. Should these guys be panicking? Should they be selling off their gear, running for the nearest uh, eBay? Um, Shiv, what do you think? Well, I, I, I don't I don't think you need to sell off your equipment. I mean, clearly, uh, you probably won't have an upgrade. But the real issue is, which is the market that's been discontinued? I mean, we're looking at Europe as potentially one of those areas that it's gone. Uh, they've made no announcements that pertain to the U.S. Uh, I think Australia is another one which they've indicated that they won't be there. But here again, it's it's one of those things where, you know, Samsung has done a similar thing with their PC market and they discontinued it in Europe, but the PCs are still available here. So, you know, we'll be talking about other things later, but maybe, you know, the Samsung gray market might survive. <laughs> Which is a perfect segue into the next story, isn't it? But we're not going to go there quite yet. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, for any any uh, NX1 or, or any Samsung camera users out there, uh, obviously, just because a camera is discontinued doesn't mean that it stops working. So if you've got one of these and you're enjoying it, by all means, continue to love it. It's uh, probably no longer, or at least I'd be careful about investing in lenses for future use with the mm -hmm. expectation or hope that you're going to get a new body down the line. That may not happen, but... Again, this does seem to be somewhat on the rumor side of things. Uh, I believe, Lee, you were saying yesterday there was something about a, a, a post and a screenshot of a chat with somebody. Yeah, so I, I, I made the mistake of reading some of the comments on the article, and you, you never want to do that with any article, really, if you want to belly your, your brain. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so, so uh, what what the discontinuation in the U.S. was based on was some guy called Dave in Texas had a screenshot of a live chat that he was having with um, someone from support at Samsung who said, uh, I'm just going to ask my manager. And he comes back and goes, yeah, it's been discontinued. And then... Uh, you know, the, the writers of the article actually contacted, you know, Samsung proper and said, um, can we get some comment? They went, no, we've got nothing to report at this moment. Now, nothing to report is kind of like no comment. So they're not right. saying yes, they're not saying no. Um, but, you know, it's pretty easy to mock up a screenshot, not to say that it was mocked up, but, right. you know, I wouldn't base, you know, financial decisions on some guy called Dave in Texas, no matter how reputable he may be. <laughs> So this the story the story may be a non-story I think is what you're saying this is a, basically a rumor based off of a screenshot that may not even be real off a discussion we don't know if anyone actually had or not. Well, uh, uh, you know, maybe Lee uh, that uh, that situation, but I think uh, I don't know if you're familiar with DP Review as a as a website that carries a lot of informational stories and things, and they they've indicated that there has been some email correspondence that indicates that the NX1 is being discontinued in Europe, Germany, and, you know, they, they don't specify Australia. So, uh, you know, are those rumors or are those real emails? Uh, I haven't seen the emails, so I can't vouch for them. But, uh, you know, I don't think DP Review would report an email being a facade. Sure. Yeah. It's, I just find it strange because, I mean, Samsung's, they, they don't seem to have done 
too much publicity with these cameras because a lot of people haven't heard of them. Mm. Um, but they seem to have invested a fair bit into creating the cameras because, I mean, they're, they're, they're decent cameras. They've, they've even got, you know, f not a huge amount of lenses, but they, they've brought out some lenses for them. Um, having said that, Samsung is a huge company. I mean, they make everything from tractors to refrigerators. So, you know, they can afford to just keep making these things and have them lose money just to gain traction. So it'd be... It'd be weird for them to just discontinue them right away because financially they don't have to go, oh, my God, we're losing money. Stop it right away. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, who knows? Maybe they do. Yeah, 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 maybe yeah, they do. You just don't know. Just don't yeah. know. All right. Well, last day we've spoken to their accountant. Yeah. <laughs> well, fair enough. So, again, at the end of the day, if you have one of these cameras, don't fret. Um, yeah, I would just be a little bit cautious on your future investment. But, obviously, if you've got a camera today, it still works. Keep on shooting. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about the camera. It's about the pictures you make with it, right? Yep, yeah. you got it. There we go. All righty. After this quick break, a Canon is going after camera retailers in an attempt to stop the sale of gray market gear. Coming up next after this ad. This episode of TWIP is sponsored by iFi. iFi has a brand new vision for helping you manage your photography. Here's how they look at photography workflows, old versus new. The old way, point shoot, download, organize, backup, die of boredom, then rinse and repeat. The new way, point, shoot, and iFi. iFi pulls all of your original resolution photos from your digital camera and smartphone and puts them into a single, intelligently organized library. This library is then immediately viewable from all of your devices, and iFi backs up everything to the cloud as well as your desktop automatically. The best thing is you can try it for free today, twip.pro slash iFi. That's T-W-I-P dot P-R-O slash iFi. And we'd like to thank iFi for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, our next story is all about Canon suing certain camera resellers for selling gray market goods. And gray market goods are in general considered not good at all. So let's uh, let's start before we get into the why or the how. Let's get into what. What is gray market? Lee, I think you had a pretty good explanation of it yesterday. Uh, you want to take that one for us? Um, yeah, sure. So I mean, gray market. It actually depends what country you're in. So um, in the U.S., for example, um, what the gray market generally refers to is, you know, cameras will be priced differently in different countries. So particularly at the moment, the Australian dollar is pretty weak. And the US dollar is pretty strong. So a Canon 5D is going to be a lot cheaper or a fair bit cheaper in Australia than it is in the US. So what a company, a reseller in the US might do is they might come to a reseller in Australia and go, hey, we'd like to buy, you know, 10,000 5Ds off of you. And, you know, the reseller here goes, oh, my God, we'd love to sell 10,000. There you go. They ship them back to the US. Um and then sell those in the U.S. at a discounted price compared to normal U.S. prices. The bad side of that is that, well, those cameras, A, came with Australian electrical plugs, so they're going to replace them with U.S. electrical plugs, which may not be specifically designed for that. So not that it's going to short, but you never know. You, you never want to mess with electrical stuff. Um, but also the way that warranties work with a lot of companies is that, Sometimes, you know, very often the, you buy a camera in a particular geographical area and your warranty covers you in that area. So if you then want to, let's say you buy one of these cameras in the US and something goes wrong with it, well, now you've got to ship that camera all the way to Australia to get it serviced or get it repaired. 
So, yeah, th- th- there can be some some pretty um, nasty surprises down the line if anything goes wrong with a, a grey market purchase. Yeah, and from what I understand, often camera manufacturers may not even honour the warranty because it's not being not being sold and used in the way it was intended. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just it's not the right market for it. Shiv, what about you? Have you uh, have you ever purchased anything on the grey market? And don't worry, there's no shaming here. <laughs> no, fortunately not. But uh, I think Samsung has an opportunity for a grey market. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think Lee's absolutely right. I think the other problem is, and, and from what I've heard, is you know you you not only have these electrical plug issues, but you also have manual issues, and you know the, the fact that uh, the grey market product carries with it you know manuals that have been photocopied and they're not the original manuals and you don't know what they say um, I've actually since yesterday sort of I spoke to somebody who did buy a gray market camera and uh, he actually got a camera that didn't even have an English menu system oh. so <laughs> <laughs> so I mean he's he's and this was you know, this was this past Thanksgiving. I mean, it's one of these Black Friday sales. So it just happened two days ago. And, and he is like distraught because he doesn't know what to do. And the guy says, look, you got the camera, you paid for it. And there's nothing wrong. It works, right? So there's no warranty repairs. Where where did he buy it? Was it a, a local store? Some shape uh, it was one of the New York stores. Uh, <laughs> one of those going out of business for the last ten years stores. <sighs> no, no, but yeah. but not only will you sell you the camera, we'll sell you this beautiful kit. It'll come with a case and an extra memory card, the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, and that is that is one of the things that um, for the <laughs> listeners to watch out for. It's sometimes it's hard to know whether it's gray market. You know, you get these these uh, camera kits that seem like a great deal. You're getting a camera in this lens, and and it comes with a free strap, and you get a battery and a charger, and it's wow, that sounds great. But of course, that's the way it's supposed to come. But often, what's happening is the the reseller is pulling out the let's say it's a Canon kit. They're pulling out the Canon lens, swapping it out with some inferior third party lens. They're taking out the proper battery and replacing it with a low-quality battery, and that can actually be quite dangerous to your camera. Mm. Uh, the charger is going to be replaced. The straps might be missing. The body and lens caps might be missing. As you already said, the manuals themselves may be missing and so replaced with some photocopy hack job. Uh, it's definitely not good. And as your friend has found, they may not even be in the language you expect them to be. I will say, though, um, like, for example, in Australia, the grey market is huge. Uh, and I have, I have actually bought a couple of most, mostly lenses um, off of the grey market. And, you know, the, the, for example, the company that I bought them from, they say they're based in Hong Kong. They, they say that, you know, it's shipped from Hong Kong. It will be covered under Australian warranty. And when, it, when all the stuff came, it was the same packaging. It was the same manuals. It was everything that I would have gotten if I'd bought it from a store here in Australia. So, um, yeah, there are some, I'm doing the inverted commas for the listeners, reputable gray market sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do, you know, with everything in life, I think if, 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 if it's a really good deal, you've got to ask yourself why. Yeah, absolutely. That is very true. Yeah, watch out for who you're buying from. And it, the most important part in this, you know, you can obviously find a great deal that you don't know if it's a good deal for shady reasons or it just happens to be a good deal. Uh, but looking at the store you're buying it from, whether it's online or or uh, or brick and mortar, making sure that it's someone who's reputable, that's been around for a while, has good reviews. You know, it's easy these days to check on their own reviews. Um, I know, you know, 10, 20 years ago, those New York camera stores, as you said, the constantly going out of business stores, 
man, they were everywhere. They're not so much anymore, but they were everywhere, and you could buy anything, and it was all shady, and you just never knew, never knew what you were going to get. And I'd just like to add, Joseph, is that if you are looking at a product that, you know, the price looks really good, whatever, uh, from a buyer's point of view, there's, there's no harm in asking, is this a great market product or not? Mm, yeah. And, and I think they're obligated to tell you that. I mean, they can't say it's a U.S. warranty product and then ship you because, you know, that's fraud. So, yeah. you know, ask that question and then make a decision based upon what the response is. And if you still feel that the price is worth it, you know, then, then you're taking that chance and it's, it's okay. But, yeah. you know, if the guy's going to be truthful, which he's supposed to be, yep, it's great market and you're buying it to your own, own risk. So Yeah, I wonder how... How truthful you can expect someone to be that's in that line of business to begin with. Yeah. But um, they, Well, for example, like my, you know, the lenses that I bought, they say on their website, you know, if there's issues, you do need to ship the lens back to us in Hong Kong and then we'll sort it out. So, mm. you know. So that's a more and, reputable gray market dealer. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they, you know, they, they're sort of, they're honest about what's going on and they're mm -hmm. like, look, it's a good deal, but just know that there are these caveats. Sure. So the so, honest gray market dealer and the not so honest gray market dealer. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's it's a gray area. Yeah, <laughs> and there therein lies the title of the show. It's a gray area. Excellent. All right. Well, the story, of course, is all about Canon coming after these uh, camera resellers, trying to shut them down or do what they can to get rid of them. So, um, it's it's I'm sure an uphill battle. It's going to be a tough one to police, but it is probably a good idea. At the end of the day, it is best for the consumer to make sure that you're getting a product that is uh, everything that it was intended to be. And while it may mean that you can't buy things as inexpensively, usually, as we all know, you get what you pay for. And if you go cheap, you're likely to get hurt in the long run. So hopefully this works out best, works out well for everyone involved. All right, after this next break, the next story is all about Leica, everybody's favorite camera to lust after. Leica takes aim at professional sports photographers with its new full-frame mirrorless, the SL1. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your, on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so that you're staying out of trouble. So 
Grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP, enter the code This Week in Photo or TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to, uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash TWIP and enter TWIP in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of This Week in Photo. And we're back like his latest camera, aiming to take over the sports photography world. Maybe takeover is a little bit aggressive, but they're definitely going after it. So they've got this massive camera that they're claiming has the world's fastest autofocus, shooting full frame at 11 frames per second. And I say massive camera, maybe that's a bit unfair. It is a mirrorless body. It is, uh, oh, I've held one. It's, uh, it's definitely bigger than the mirrorless cameras that I've worked with, but it is, uh, it's not as big as, say, a medium format camera. But Leica in the world of sports, I don't know, Shiv, what do you think? Is that going to take hold? Well, let me tell you, the, you, the, the word massive is not the camera. The massive is the price. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know. Those red dots are really expensive. Yes, right? yes. I mean, I had the opportunity to, to actually hold one of these and, and play with it for a bit. And, and there is one thing about it that I find very impressive, and that's the, the, the viewfinder. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, it has no lag, or I shouldn't say no lag. It has very little lag compared to any of the other mirrorlesses that I've, you know, tested and used. Uh, but, you know, there is a price point. And the the biggest issue that I find, you know, when you talk about being a sports camera, you need sports-capable lenses. And for $4,000-odd, there's one lens that they have, which I wouldn't call a sports lens. So what are they touting? Yeah, absolutely. That lens, what was it, 24 to 90 millimeter, if I recall? Yeah, right. definitely not. I mean, that's, that's a good general all-purpose lens. I mean, I, I, you wouldn't use that as a sports lens. Right. No, absolutely. Now, the world's fastest autofocus, that's quite a claim. And I know we were skimming through the article, and we couldn't come up with anything that talked about focus tracking. Now, being able to autofocus instantaneously on something sitting in front of you is obviously a good thing, but if it can't lock onto that object and track it as it moves across the football field or whatever it may be, then it doesn't do a whole lot of good as a sports camera. So unless I'm missing something there, um, and I know some sports photographers are probably still shooting manual focus, but there's a lot of work that goes into making the higher-end Canon and Nikon cameras, the ones that are most popular sports photographers, uh, into really good focus tracking cameras and i don't know have i missed anything or are we is that in there somewhere and it's just not being talked about lee have you seen anything well chess is still a sport and you know, that one's not particularly, <laughs> it's, it's not you know too fast curling um, curling's a bit. yeah yeah well curling is still yeah that yeah um no i <clears throat> yeah I'm, I'm you know what it, it looks like a great camera but i i'm not quite sure why their marketing seems to be going so hard after the sports photography stuff because as you say, the limitations are, you know, tracking focus and also the lens that it, that you can buy for four thousand nine hundred and ninety-five dollars. Um, yeah, those are U.S. dollars, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 not 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 like the pesos we get down here in Australia. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of money for 
you know, I mean, I remember, I remember asking a, a sports photographer once, you know, wow, that's, that's a huge, you know, like that 600 millimeter lens, how much does that cost? And it was like, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> and I mean, for the price of this Leica and its lens, I could get a very nice, you know, big, big sort of zoom lens and stick it on a one DC. So yeah, I, I just, I, well, it's straight up to be fair, though, the, the marketing the confuses me. Yeah, to be fair about the price, though, the price of the body is in line with the top-end Canon or Nikon camera. So it's $7,500 for the top-end, what, what's the Canon 1DX? Yeah, one, believe, right? 1DX. And, 1DX, yeah. Yeah, and then Nikon, I'm not sure what that is. but I, I, I think it's the D3. Yeah, is it? There, yeah. Isn't it a 4 in there? Yeah. yeah. D4, no, yes. Yeah, D4. Myself, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're clearly, cameras are in that price range. But yeah, if you don't have the lenses to support it, and the lenses are going to cost five grand, and five grand for twenty four to ninety lens, that's a bit a good twenty four seventy f you know fixed f two point eight is probably what two to three thousand dollars from those manufacturers for the top end lens. Yeah, so even we're if. definitely getting a premium there, uh, and you can't even imagine what's a Canon three hundred f two point eight cost. You know, double lot. that. If, if, if you if you if you need to ask, you can't afford it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't. It's. I'm sure it's a beautiful camera. I'm sure it creates beautiful images, but. Uh, sports pictures are quite often not about uh, you know that that perfect glass and that zero chromatic aberration. You're it's more about what the camera can do, capturing a great image very quickly that you can then get off to the paper and get back to work. So, but you know, based on what you just said, Joseph, I mean, that's there's one thing that we should consider is you know, just like all mirrorless cameras have great adapters, and is it going to be just as fast focusing if you were to use an adapter and maybe a Canon lens or an Icon lens? Well, there's no way. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never seen an adapted lens. You know, I mean, clearly, I mean, there, there is an opportunity now, you know, to, to counter that statement, Sony with their A7R2 and their focusing capabilities are achieving similar speeds. So maybe the Leica can do it too. True. And and also, actually, while we're talking about Sony, because I, I had a look at the, the video features of this Leica, and, you know, it'll do 4K at 30 or 24 frames per second. It'll do um, 120 frames per second at 1080, which is very similar video specs to the A7R and the A7S, but, you know, they're almost half the price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so, GH4 so, is just over $1,000 and also shoots 4K at those frame rates. Yeah, yeah, and well, yeah, and the, and the GH4. I mean, the, the slow mo on the GH4 um, is really, really nice. Yep, I did love her. Yep, absolutely. And keep in mind that that camera will shoot longer than thirty minutes. I don't know what uh, what the limitation, if anything, is on this camera. I didn't see that in the article, but that's a biggie that often comes up uh, when talking about yeah, cameras that are not designed to work for long periods of time shooting video, and the sensors overheat and the image gets very noisy very quickly. So definitely not a good thing. All right, well, Leica. Fanatics out there, for those who uh, who love these beasts, uh, maybe this will be the next one on your Christmas list. I think it is. Uh, it's going to be released in November, so you have time to ask Santa for your your favorite red dot. But I believe for most sports photographers, they'll probably be sticking with the gear that they've got. I can't imagine too many people switching over, and I certainly can't imagine anybody new to the sporting arena deciding to make their first camera a seventy five hundred dollar Leica. Well, I mean, if 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 Leica wants to, I mean, Lee. 
Joseph and I have no problem in sending Happy us to try it out. Try it out? Go ahead, like, prove us wrong. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, there's one other story that isn't in, the, uh, isn't in the notes here that I wanted to talk about real quick. And I know it was touched on last week's show, but um, we have a couple of people here who know a few things about it. I wanted to get into it a little bit more. Was the new post-focus feature in the Lumix cameras. Um, I'm, as most listeners know, I'm a Lumix luminary, so I get early access to some of these toys. And um, I've actually been working on a video for it that should certainly be out by the time this episode of TWIP is on the air. And it is a really, really cool feature. Now, uh, Chef, I know that you've been playing with it a little bit as well. You want to tell the listeners what it is and how it actually works? Okay. I mean, I think, you know, there's this, there's a lot of uses for post-focus, but let's redefine it a little bit as to the ability for a camera to take multiple images at different focal planes, and then your ability to do various things with those images. So you can either pick an image that is most suitable for you uh, based upon where it was focused. And then there is the opportunity for you to take all of those images and potentially combine them into a single image using either Photoshop or a stacking software like Helicon Focus or Zerine Stack, and then creating images that really have no depth of field limitations. For an example, if you were to take an image of a very small object, and let's say you were looking at true macro one for one, and there was a background that you didn't like. So the opportunity now is you can shoot at f2.8, take multiple images, stack them, and never have the background come into focus. So for macro photography, it's a huge, huge step forward where you don't have to use stacking rails you don't, or focus ring rails. You don't have to use things like remote control software to do it for you. The camera basically does it for you with, I, I want to use the term, one click. And mm -hmm. with one click, you've got multiple images that you can do an infinite number of permutations with based upon what the ultimate objective is. Yep. So, so it, it's, it's an opportunity for people who were skeptical about doing macro because it never looked good. They didn't know where to focus or how to focus or how to get that depth of field. Now to have images that are exceptional and, and no two ways about it. I mean, the camera is inordinately fast and the focusing capability is, uh, you know, unfathomable from what you were able to do manually. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah. So, yeah. So the cameras that it's coming to is the GX8, the G7, and the FZ300, I believe, is the model number for the, the lower-end camera. Yeah. And essentially, just for the tech side of things, to explain how, it's, uh, how it actually works, is it's shooting in 4K photo mode, which means it's shooting 4K video at 30 frames per second and racking the focus while it shoots that. And 4K video is 8.2 or 8.3 megapixels worth of data. So certainly on the smaller side compared to uh, the bigger 16, 20 megapixel cameras that we're used to thinking about. But depending on your use, that 8 megapixel can be plenty. It can You can print an 8 by 10 print with that. And uh, obviously, if you're doing anything on the web, that is more than enough. And yeah, you have the ability to choose your focus point afterwards. The video that it shoots, the duration of that is dependent on how fast the lens itself can focus. So it just depends on the lens you have. And also the depth of distance between subjects that's in the scene. So if I photograph something that is, say, <clears throat> excuse me, say a, a flower with another flower behind it, and that's the entirety of the scene, only maybe an inch worth of depth, it's going to be very fast video. 
Whereas if I have a flower and then the mountain behind it, it's going to rack all the way through and capture everything in between. And so that will take a bit longer. Um, but then, as you said, the possibilities of what you can do with those images are quite, uh, quite interesting and really a lot of fun. And, and, you know, Joseph, one thing I do want to point out, and I've said it before and I'll repeat it, 8.3 megapixels is huge. It really is. And on, on the Lumix site, uh, you know, I have an image over there that I took. It's 8 megapixels, and I blew it up to 5 feet by 7 feet. And, and, and then I've, you know, cropped a section out of it, just the eye and the eyebrows, and you can see the eyelashes and the, you know, the, the blood vessels in the eye <laughs> perfectly. I mean, it's distinct. So, sure. you know, let's not, let's not worry about 8 megapixels being an issue. Right, absolutely. Well said. Actually, I just wanted to throw that out there since we had a couple of people on the show who knew a few things about it, and I honestly have no idea how much of it was discussed in last week's show. So there we go. Post Focus, look for it from Lumix, uh, Google it, and hopefully by the time you hear these words, you will be able to find the video that I produced, which, uh, which I'm quite excited about. It's going to be a nice little video. All right, we're going to move on. Next one is listener Q&A. So this week's question is from Stefan. Stefan says, any suggestions on photographing my dogs, specifically setting exposure, is they're both black and white. And I don't know if one's black and one's white or if they're zebra-striped dogs or what they might be, but they're black and white dogs. I'm a Canon 1DX shooter, if that makes a difference. 99.5% of the time shooting in manual spot metering, and I guess he means manual exposure, but then he says priority on shutter speed as they don't sit patiently. Um, so I'm not sure if he's shooting manual and just opting for higher shutter speeds or if he's shooting shutter priority and he means manual something else anyway. On the last note, I'm two steps away from being useless with my speed light, so please don't tell me to use that. Right on. So, no speed light, 1DX, not a shabby little camera. I believe mm. uh, right in line with that uh, Leica we were talking about earlier. And he's got dogs that are black and white running in spot metering. All right, Lee, what's he doing wrong? Um, well, I, my first suggestion is just put more starch in the dog's diet so they're not moving around so much. Um, <laughs> and here come the haters. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I almost, I almost feel like we need a bit more information because it sounds. I mean, he's, you know, he's got a, he's got an amazing camera. Um, so you know, my question would be, you know, is he trying to shoot these in a really high dynamic range environment? Like, is, you know, is there an open window with the sun coming in behind them? Like, I'm, like I'm not quite sure why he's struggling to expose for them because you know, you just you point at what you want to expose and and you set the exposure. So. Um, I mean, maybe maybe they are striped dogs, so you know, sort of in, in the shadows, he's losing some detail. But also, I mean, if he's shooting raw, um, I assume he's shooting raw. You should, I know, you know, you want to get it right in camera, but but worse comes to worse, you know, if you're shooting raw, take it back into post and use brushes to, you know, bring up the shadows in some areas and pull down the highlights in other areas. And yeah, well, let's assume he's but, trying to get it right in camera. Um, Shiv, I think that the spot metering might have something to do with it. What happens if you spot meter off something that's black and then spot meter off something that's white? Are you going to get the same exposure reading? No, you're not, and that's that's part of the problem. So, so let's let's simplify things. Let's assume for a moment he's not shooting RAW; he's shooting JPEG, and let's also assume for a moment that the light isn't all that drastic nor changing. So, you know, from a recommendation point of view, maybe some people like spot metering because somebody told them that's the way to do it. So my suggestion would be, if you are spot metering, go get yourself a gray card and set your exposure based on the gray card, and hopefully you won't have a problem because when you have a white dog, now I'm assuming it's not a striped dog. 
<laughs> or, or, or a spotted dog. So it's a white dog and then the other one's a black dog. So if you shoot and spot meter a black dog, you're going to have to basically set a compensation and underexpose. Well, what Conversely, they need to do is get the black dog and the white dog to have a puppy. Then they'll have a gray dog that they can meter <laughs> off of. Now they, they're, they're, but, 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 but how do you get a 33% gray dog? Well, I don't know. You genetics. Can, <laughs> you trying, but you know, so so go go and buy a Kodak gray card if you can't find anything else. They're, those are cheap; they're fifty cents a piece, and and meter on the gray card, and then hopefully, if the light doesn't change, you'll be okay. But you know, Joseph, you've got you've got some suggestions, I'm sure. Well, I would say get off the spot meter. Spot metering has its place and use for sure, but I think in an environment like this where you've got I'm going to assume a changing environment, not locked into a studio, but maybe in the living room where it's darker behind the couch and brighter by the window or out in the yard where there's trees creating shadows that you want to make metering as simple as possible, in which case these cameras are so good at matrix metering. The multi-zone 2358, 312 different zone meters that these cameras have these days are just phenomenal. And let the camera do its thing. It will figure out the exposure based off of many, many averages, and more likely than not, it's going to get it right. So that is what I would recommend. Forget the spot metering. Go into matrix metering on that camera. Let the camera do what it's good at. And uh, probably even shoot in shutter priority mode so you can make sure that you have that fast shutter speed that you want, whether that's a thousandth of a second or two thousandths or whatever it needs to be to freeze the motion the way that you want it. Go shutter priority. Let the camera pick out the aperture. You can even let the camera pick the ISO for you. Set it to matrix and go. Have some fun with your pups. That would be my advice. I wonder if the Leica can do that. I'm sure it can. I'm sure it can. But we don't know yet if it can track those dogs as yeah. they bounce around the living room. Hey, if Leica wants to send me a sample, I will find some dogs. <laughs> well, if someone sends you some sample dogs, will you go find a Leica? Uh, no. No, it's just not working. <laughs> All right, guys, let's jump into our picks of the week. Lee, what is yours? Um, so my pick, it's, it's a bit of a, a, a one-two combo. Um, so it's, it's a cage for the A7S Mark II and the A7R Mark II. Um, so just to explain <coughs> briefly why you would want a cage for your camera. I'm a video guy, and um, even though these cameras are lovely for video, they're not specifically designed in their body shape for video. So you generally want to attach a microphone or a light or what have you. So a cage will allow you to have far more attachments than the single hot shoe or cold shoe that you may have on your camera. So there's why you might want a cage. Um, this is a cage by a company called Movecam or Movecam. Um, I had the Mark I for the A7S, which was really nice. It's a really nice cage because it's really nice and tight fitting. So it, it fits around the camera really snugly and it's got a good solid grip. Um, a couple of a nice little improvement is, uh, well, number one, they with the Mark I and the Mark II, they don't block the hot shoe on the mm. A7. So you've still got access to the hot shoe. Also, they've got a second cold shoe on the side. So I could have a microphone and a wireless mic on the camera at the same time. And it doesn't go on the handle. So it's not this sort of giant tall thing. Um, you do have cold shoes on the handle if you want the handle as well. Um, so the, the cage is really nice. Um, but the thing that I'm really excited about is I got a, a separate sort of handle that they make, which has got a link cable, which allows you to plug into your camera and there's a start stop button on the handle to start and stop recording on your handle. So I could place that handle on a rig 
and I could be starting and stopping the recording on my A7S Mark II or A7R Mark II without having to touch the camera, which I wasn't that excited about when I got it, but I've used it on a couple of run and gun shoots and it's actually been phenomenally useful. So even if you sort of, well, you need the cage to use the handle, um, but if you're just getting the cage, I'd highly recommend having a look at the handle as well um, because, yeah, that handle with the start-stop is so much more useful than I thought it was. It's fantastic. Very good. Very cool. And do they make cages for pretty much every camera out there that shoots video? Um, uh, I think so. I know, well, I mean, I, I shoot with the, with the FS7, which is a bigger sort of beta cam, uh, but I know they make one for the Blackmagic camera. I think they make them for the 5D. Um, but yeah, if you have a look, um, I've, I've put some links in the show notes um, and they make they make a lot of stuff. Okay. So yeah, I'd Very imagine cages. Um, good question. The cage, I think this is in Australian dollars. Um, the cage on its own, I think is about $400 and the handle, I think was about 250, 300, somewhere in that region. And those are Australian. So sort of take about 50 to 80 bucks off for us prices. Very good. Excellent. Shiv, what about you? What do you got for us today? So since we've been talking about post-focus, one thing, I mean, it's not a pick of the week really, but a recommendation of the week is that all you Panasonic, Lumix, you know, owners who have cameras that the firmware is now available for, go get it and try it out. And as a part of the Micro Four Thirds Consortium, Olympus also has a similar firmware release, and you should upgrade your Olympus OM-DEM1 with the new firmware because post-focus is just beautiful. Try it and you'll love it. Uh, my pick of the week is the Zeiss Batis 85mm 1.8 lens. Uh, they make it for the Sony E-mount or the FE mount. It's a full frame. Absolutely beautiful lens, beautiful bouquet. The color rendition is incredible. And it's so beautifully balanced that uh, out of all the 85 millimeters that I've used in the past, this one just takes the cake. Well, better than uh, better than any manufacturer lens, better than your Canon or Nikon. I would say this one, yes, it, huh? it really exceeds that, particularly from a color point of view. And at a price point of about eleven hundred and fifty to twelve hundred dollars, you can't go wrong. Sounds about right. Yeah. And that is a Zeiss lens. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very good. Awesome. Well, my pick of the week is a video one as well. And this is something that Lee uh, can slap onto that bracket that he's talking about there. And that is the lovely named Atomos Ninja Assassin. Love the name of their product. So Atomos makes a line of products for videographers. And the Ninja Assassin is the little brother to the Shogun. And what both of these products do is capture 4K video off of your 4K capable camera. So in my case, the GH4, or I know there's some Canons out there and a variety of other cameras that shoot 4K these days. And you capture the, not uncompressed, but a much less compressed image than you would get if you're capturing to the image card, uh, to the memory card in camera. So on the memory card in camera, you're going to capture an MPEG file, capturing to the Shogun or to the Ninja Assassin, you're getting a 10-bit 422 ProRes file onto an SSD card that you can then just unplug, plug into your Mac and pull off very quickly and start editing right away. No re, <clears throat> excuse me, no encoding, no recompression uh, has to be done. Image quality is better and it's just a much faster workflow. So the difference for anyone who's thinking about these things between the two, the Shogun 
is uh, about a $2,000 product. The Ninja Assassin is $1,300, and for that $700 savings, all that they re had to remove was the, uh, the HDSDI ports and the XLR inputs and outputs. So if you are shooting primarily via HDMI, uh, you will still have an audio in, just a line in, so you can sync your audio that way. But if uh, you don't need all the other big ports, then you can save $700 and get the Ninja Assassin. And I love it. It's been a great boon to my workflow, really speeds things up, and allows me to get more done in a day, for sure. I'll, um, I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll second that because I've, I've got the Shogun, but I'll, another really cool feature, particularly for photographers or people who are using, photog in inverted commas, photography cameras with the Atomos products, or in fact any of them, not just their 4K ones, is it helps you get around that 29-minute limit, recording limit, because you're not actually recording on the camera. So particularly if you've got a stills camera that you want to shoot an event, for example, where you need to shoot more than half an hour of video at a time, having any of the Atomos recorders, as long as you've got a big enough hard drive in, they will allow you to capture longer video, longer video clips. Right. Now, that said, not all cameras that can shoot under 30 minutes, you don't necessarily want them to shoot over 30 minutes. No, because you don't want them to melt. Right. The sensors can overheat and, uh, well, the cameras can malfunction, but also your image quality can drop dramatically. Uh, there are only some cameras on the market that are designed to handle that type of heat. And, um, and generally, that's what you want to be using if you're going to be shooting long-form stuff. Carry <laughs> some dry ice. <laughs> Maybe that's what I need to keep the fans on this machine a little bit, yeah. a little bit lower. All right, guys. Before we go, what are you up to next? What do you have going on? Should you go first? What's uh, what's up, what's next on your calendar? Well, next on my calendar is uh, the uh, photo show over in uh, New Jersey at Unique. I'll be presenting macro, uh, really talking about the Panasonic uh, post focus features. Uh, actually, doing some demos. So that should be a lot of fun. And then in January, um, it's a long, you know, five, six-day program over at the uh, Birding Festival, which is the Space Coast Birding Festival. Uh, and I'd highly recommend those folks who want to, you know, sort of see how good Panasonic gear is at, uh, you know, wildlife, nature, bird photography. Um, we'll have a bunch of uh, cameras available for you to borrow, lenses for you to borrow and try out, and uh, also some very interesting digiscoping capabilities. So, uh, you know, check out the uh, Birding Festival over at the Space Coast uh, Features in Titusville, Florida. Very good. We'll be sure to put links to all these things in the show notes as well. Right on. Lee, what about you? Um, I'm going on vacation. So, whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, I wish, yeah, so I'm, I'm off to New Zealand next week, so that's going to be fun. Um, but in terms of work stuff, I've actually I've actually written about like 10 or 20 articles um, on various video and photography related stuff that I'll be posting um, over the next few weeks um, over on Digital Revs Bokeh and on F-Stop Lounge. Um, yeah, so have a look on those pages for uh, for some articles that I've got coming up. And oh, just one little plug: um, I finally got off my tushy and created a Facebook page. So if anyone wants to go check out my Facebook page and like it, um, it's just capturing passion on Facebook. Very good. And if you're uh, if you enjoy writing, then uh, let's talk after the show. I'd love to have you put some articles on my photoapps.expert site. Get some, okay, cool. get some software. Yeah articles going on in there. That'd be great. So for me, anybody who is going to be in New York in December, I've got a, an event at B&H Camera on the 14th at, uh, I believe it's 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock, somewhere in the afternoon. 
And I'll be talking about all things Lumix. I'll be talking about my own photography, showing off pictures, showing off videos, showing off the things that I do with the gear. And of course, we'll talk about post-focus as well. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a 90-minute presentation. We'll do some interactive Q&A and just have a good old time. So by all means, please come by. Sign up for that. Go to the B&H website. Go to their events page. You'll see it there. You can sign up, grab a seat, and come on in. So that is our show. Lee, where can everybody find you once the show is over? Um, yeah, so website is Capturing Passion. And on all the social things, I am Lee Herbert, H-E-R-B-E-T. Only one R. Apparently, it's the German spelling. Very efficient. <laughs> Sounds good. Shiv, how about you? Um, you can connect everything through my website at uh, shivverma.com. And there are two Vs in the middle. It's S-H-I-V-V-E-R-M-A. And uh, everything's connected. Excellent. And for me, you can find me anywhere on any platform under Photo Joseph. Just Google that and you'll find it. P-H-O-T-O-J-O-S-E-P-H. No F's in there spelled the proper way. All right, guys, that is it. Be sure to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>